0: to no small jobs the podcast i'm your host paul new thanks for listening in again i hope you've been uh this is not your first podcast episode that you've listened to but hey if it has welcome if it hasn't, thanks for coming back. Really appreciate the support. Uh, do not forget that uh, all our previous episodes can be found on uh, SoundCloud, on nosmalljobspod.com.au and wherever you get good podcasts. Uh, there are some pretty good ones out there. There's a librarian, the primary school teacher, uh, an entire one about Egypt, which didn't really intend to be about Egypt, but hey, it went there. So um, please make sure you listen and support us, Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. No Small Jobs Pod is the handle, wherever you can find us. So today my guest is Emma. Emma is an infectious diseases consultant. Hi Emma. Hi Paul. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. So for the listeners out there, can you please explain what is an infectious diseases consultant?
1: Um, So an infectious diseases consultant is a doctor who works in a hospital setting um, and works in the area of infectious diseases. Um, Infectious diseases are basically just infections. So there's a, a common misconception that to be an infectious disease, it has to be infectious, as in you have to be able to catch it off someone. And that's not necessarily true. We deal with all sorts of different types of infections from pneumonia to to tuberculosis to bone infections to malaria you name it Um, and we work both in the inpatient setting so patients in hospital and in the outpatient setting so seeing patients in clinics. Uh,
0: um, And so how did you come to become uh, like what what inspired you to be an infectious diseases consultant was that always your dream?
1: Uh, No, it wasn't. Sort of, as I think most, a lot of people do in the medical field, you kind of tend to stumble upon what you end up doing in a lot of cases. Um, It depends often on what you encounter along the way and who you meet who sort of interests you in certain topics. Um, I guess I knew I was sort of um, heading towards the medical side of Medicine, as opposed to the surgical side of medicine. So medical is in, you know, not doing operations. I'm not exactly a surgical type. Um, so I knew I sort of wanted to go into the uh, into the medical side of things, but wasn't quite sure what part of that or what subspecialty I wanted to go into for a very long time. Um, throughout my sort of doctor, like early junior doctor years, um, but I I liked infectious diseases because, and I still do, because of the the breadth. Of, um, of the topic so unlike a lot of different medical specialties I'm not restricted to a single organ so I don't just deal with the heart or the lungs or the kidneys um, alone I sort of get to get to look at all of those um, together and that I find really interesting. Uh,
0: and so in terms of breadth what is it is it the complexity that interests you what is it exactly that that drew you to the breadth per se?
1: Um, yeah, the, yeah, definitely complexity. Um, in some cases, a lot of our patients are really complex. Some of them aren't. So sometimes, you know, you'll have someone who's got influenza or who's, you know, got pneumonia and nothing else. They can be young and well, or they can be older and more complicated or younger and more complicated. Um, the, the breadth of it, I think, <sighs> infectious diseases is all about problem solving, really. Um, a lot of medical specialties their thing is, is a certain procedure that they can do or a skill that they have that other people don't have. I think as an infectious diseases physician, I don't have practical hands-on skills that I can do that other people can't do. I don't have a procedure that I get called in to do. Um, I The thing that I do is ask questions. And I think that's that's what I really enjoy about it, and you know, you come in and you see your patient, and you've just got to ask questions, and it can it'll go where it goes, and you can end up asking about all sorts of interesting things about their lifestyle or about their medical problem currently, and it's all it all can all come together at the end um, to be relevant.
0: Was there a particular moment or person that inspired you to become an infectious diseases consultant?
1: Um. I think I sort of I found the the things that we did in medical school that were related to infections I always found interesting. Um, and then as a final year medical student, I did an elective with uh, the infectious diseases unit in one of the hospitals in Melbourne, and really enjoyed that for similar reasons. Just the the different patients. Every patient who walks in the door is different, um, and it never gets boring. Um, and a lot of the people I worked with, like the registrars and the consultants in that um, rotation, even though it was only you know, six weeks or something, were really lovely people and really enthusiastic about their job, and that's always something that's very memorable and that sticks with you. I certainly hadn't decided at that stage that that's what I wanted to do, Then I did a couple of years of um, being a junior doctor and doing you know, all sorts of the bits and pieces that you have to do as a junior doctor, um, rotating around the different areas of the hospital. Um, And as I did that um, in my second or third year out, I was lucky enough to do an infectious diseases term as a junior doctor. And that was really when I thought, look, this is something that I think I'm really going to enjoy.
0: So as I understand, you've got got a number of different roles and responsibilities across the state as part of uh, your job. Can you tell us more about it?
1: Yeah. So, and this again, I'm going to, Come back and bang on about breadth again. <laughs> but this is where um, this is where infectious diseases is so great. So you know, I work as part of a large metropolitan hospital with a big infectious diseases unit. Um, and within the hospital, there's there's people who specialise in HIV or in infections in immunocompromised patients, so patients with poor immune systems related to cancer or transplants and things like that, who get all sorts of interesting infections. Um, and then there's, you know, there's the gun variety things that we see every day, um, the, the bone and joint infections, pneumonias, cellulitis, skin infections um, and all that sort of thing. And I'm lucky enough that I sort of have tried to keep a foot in multiple camps. So as part of my work, um, some of my work is based um, at at the uh, tertiary hospital that I work in, so doing clinics and doing ward service, which is seeing patients, inpatients on the ward as part of a team, and then seeing patients in clinic. Um, in addition to that, I uh, do some work uh, with HIV patients, um, mostly outpatients again, um, but they can have quite complex medical problems as well, and as well as that, I do some regional outreach work. Um, And as part of that, I travel to uh, a few different um, regional centres in Victoria um, and do similar sorts of work there, so uh, lots of outpatient clinics, uh, and then also giving advice to the medical teams at those hospitals about uh, the medical problems in their patients with infections.
0: Uh, is there anywhere else that you you've thought of you know taking your career? Because when certainly when I think of infectious diseases, it is that it takes me more overseas really than anything else. Now, as you said right at the beginning, infectious diseases isn't um, isn't exclusively limited to just the things that are contagious per se. But um, had you ever considered you know broadening your horizons?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love traveling, um, so that was always something that I thought I might do. And certainly, I've had colleagues who have done that. And really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's, it's not so much hasn't so much been a been a decision not to do that as it sort of just hasn't quite happened yet. <laughs> you know, life sort of got in the way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's I know I've I know a lot of different people working in the field who've you know worked in um, various places overseas. Um, you know, it's people who've gone to Africa um, to work with you know. Ebola and malaria and that kind of thing over there and uh, HIV patients. I've got a friend who's doing his PhD in Fiji at the moment and there's lots of different opportunities definitely. I've known people who've worked with um, Medicines on Frontiers as well in various places around the world. Um, And I think those, yeah, that's certainly another exciting part of infectious diseases. But I think for me at this stage, I'm not planning to do that in the short term, but that's... For various, you know, other reasons, you know, personal reasons and family reasons, as much as anything else,
0: and that's fair enough. You know, yeah, our our lives aren't entirely made up of our careers, so you have to factor <laughs> everything in. That's that's fair. Um, are there any particular things that you find challenging about your job?
1: Um, yeah, I think the the pace at which things move, uh, as far as changes in the field, is is really rapid, um, and also the fact that I am involved in a few different sub areas, sub specialties within infectious diseases means that I do have to try as best as I can to keep up a little bit with with all those um, advances, because I have to make sure that I'm you know doing the best for my patients and I'm giving them the most up to date sort of treatments. But that means that you know in fields like such as HIV where you know, HIV has only really been around in the mainstream consciousness for the last, you know, 30 years, so, and within the last, and people have only been treated, we've only been able to treat people for HIV for the last, you know, 20 years, and there really are drugs being released, you know, every couple of months for HIV, and also for a lot of other infectious um, conditions, so new antibiotics and that kind of thing, and you really do have to try and keep on top of those things, and that can be difficult. Yes, yeah, so I think that's something that I do have to really work at to make sure that I'm keeping up to date with things that are changing so quickly.
0: I mean, as difficult as that may be, do you, do you find that to be a, a positive experience, or does it actually take away from the joy of working in your job?
1: You know, interesting question. I I never used to enjoy it. I found I found that, especially I think as a junior doctor, maybe just because I hadn't, you know, I was doing lots of other things as well you know when you're a registrar so that's so it's a not you know not bottom of the bottom of the tree but you're certainly not top of it either it's sort of the mid-ranking doctor in the hospital system you're very very busy doing sort of ward work and day-to-day things and trying to you know manage patients and get them through the hospital system as sort of efficiently as possible um, there isn't a whole lot of time left to try and keep up with that stuff and at that point I remember thinking like it was all just hard like it was really difficult to find time to read journals and that kind of thing it was all a bit of a hassle but I think now now that I've qualified it's much more it feels much more relevant um as the sort of consultant or the physician I have to I'm the one often making the phone making the calls on these things so I really it, it feels a bit more high stakes like I really need to be on top of things because if I am not up to date then um, the you know the person making making the definitive call at the end of the day isn't up to date and that's not not a great position to be in and that finds that I do I'm finding also that I do enjoy it much more now too because it's so much more relevant to my day to day practice.
0: I do find it quite remarkable. Uh... <sighs> as a general kind of conceit, that relevance really plays a, a great role in terms of how much someone both engages and enjoys with their own education. Like I know I've definitely felt that, that as much as uh, rote learning has always, you know, rote learning is an essential part of any sort of education, but I've always found that the thing that stuck with me most was when I could apply it to a patient or I could uh, attach it to an emotion or an experience and that it, it made it, it really reinforced it far more than just trying to memorize a line out of a book. And I kind of, Mm. I, I get, I don't know, I mean, maybe not being in education myself, I always kind of wonder how can we incorporate that more into education rather than just handing everyone a textbook and telling them to memorize it, you know?
1: Oh, definitely. And I think that's often I find that that I, you know, the... Usually, so as as a consultant, you're on ward service for only certain periods of the year. So say I do a month on ward service at a time, and what that means is that I'm in charge of a team on the ward looking after inpatients as they come in and out of hospital um, and, you know, trying to manage them and get them better and get them home, preferably. Um, But usually only do that for about a month at a time, um, you know, somewhere around three months or so of the year. So it's not all, it's only about a quarter of your year doing that. But it's amazing how much you learn in that time. It's such an intensive learning experience, even for the consultant on the team who's supposedly, you know, meant to be in charge. Meant to be in charge, <laughs> I still learn so much every time I'm, I'm on because you know you you see patients presenting differently or with different conditions that you haven't seen, you know, maybe that commonly before, and that really prompts you to look it up and um, and think, you know, okay, what's what's the best thing that I can do for this patient who's you know, this this problem that they've come in with that's slightly different from other presentations I've seen before or maybe there's a new drug we can give them and it's an amazing prompt for you to learn more things and it's certainly something that I know I'm not alone there. My, my, my mentor, um, who is a very senior clinician who's been around a long time in infectious diseases and is sort of a bit of a legend of the field, um, has said the same thing. I think I learned that from him that... That you know, even someone like him who's so senior and has been doing this for many years has always um, made clear, I think, to me as a as a mentee, how important it is to learn from the patients that you're seeing. And he always said that that you learn. He learns the most when he's on ward service and from his juniors as well. It's amazing what you can learn from your colleagues too.
0: Is there a plan, or, do, or more accurately, do you have any aspirations for your career do, in terms, you know, in terms of moving up or moving forward?
1: Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I have some aspirations. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Um, I think what I enjoy the most about my job is is the patients and clinical contact. So, I'm not rushing into management roles or that sort of thing really um not that I would be qualified for them yet anyway but um it's not that wouldn't be the top of my list I'm not aiming necessarily to be the head of head of a unit um I think I I'm keen to continue as much as I can to be a clinician really like as a as a sort of as the base of what I do. A lot of people in infectious diseases combine, combine research with clinical work, so as well as seeing patients, uh, they also do research, they do PhDs or they do basic science and, you know, do some of that really important work in, you know, that, I, that I'm trying to keep up with. They're, doing, they're actually doing that work. <laughs> um, and that's really impressive, but I think for me, the clinical work is what I am best at, and that's, that's what I enjoy most about my, my job. And that, so I'm keen to keep doing that as much as I can.
0: And that's certainly a reasonable thing to do because, I mean, I I find that I, – I, I, like, I think I've had this conversation before. I, don't, I, I find that within medicine particularly, and I imagine this this goes across most industries, but there seems to be this expectation that the next level of – your of anyone's career is not necessarily what you trained for like we don't get trained how to manage a unit or how to create a curriculum or or um, or all those sorts of things but that's for some certainly yeah, for some specialties that's the expectation that you're not allowed to just be this really excellent clinician that's considered middle ground you know there's there's this expectation that at some point you need to elevate yourself but if the question then becomes, if you are genuinely happy where you are and and hopefully if you're actually good at what you do, is it necessarily beneficial for people for you to move upwards or is it better that mm. you're working on the ground? So do you feel an expectation that you are required to enter into some sort of managerial role?
1: Um, not so much managerial role, but I think as a... As you're nearing the end of your training as a as a registrar in infectious diseases, there was certainly a whole lot of pressure to do a PhD. Uh, I think a lot of people in the field, particularly maybe in in the more sort of tertiary hospitals with big units and big like research interests, which a lot of the bigger units do have, there is a lot of pressure or, or not so much pressure as just a presumption that you will do a PhD. Like mm. obviously you'll do a PhD, what is it going to be in? <laughs> And, and I think, you know, I always sort of flummox people slightly when I was not that keen, when I made it clear that I wasn't all that keen at this point in my life. I mean, I'm not ruling it out for sure, but at this point in my life to do a PhD, I was nearing the end of my training. And But I did sort of kept getting, I kept getting asked that by everybody. You know, what? like, what are you doing and what's, are you going to do a PhD or what are you going to do it in? Um, and it wasn't, it's certainly the, the... Implication was that you know clinical work was was a second rung sort of option, you know that like you would do that if you weren't doing something else, um, and I think it's a bit of a shame really that clinical work is relatively undervalued. I think in the hospital system, partly because we have a, it's a very difficult thing to measure. Um, I mean, how do you how do you show that you're a good clinician? How do you know that you were Like, how do, how do you show in an objective sort of way that you are good with your patients, you're a good diagnostician, you know, you a good... Yeah, you know, on that, within that sort of day-to-day stuff, it's not something that you can put on your CV. You know, unlike, you know, I've written these papers and I've got these degrees and you can put all that on your CV and it's something that's easy for other people to understand, but it is very, very difficult to objectively assess whether or not someone is a good clinician. And therefore it sort of is then a presumption that everyone is and that's easy. That's, you know, we just presume that that's something that everyone can do and that's not necessarily true.
0: I know that one of um one of our mutual friends has said that they offer they've found that whenever you encounter a specialist who is a professor or associate professor, they tend to be worse clinicians, <laughs> maybe because they're spending more time in academia than they are actually on the ground. So that yeah, I I do I do see that, and I guess so. My next question then is: Do you think that your lack of desire to do research is a hindrance on your career?
1: Um, I guess it depends on what you want for your career. Um, I think in in some units, yeah, probably. Uh, I think in, in some units, you know, a, a higher degree would be very much preferable um, if they're trying to recruit clinician researchers, which a lot of units are, and that's understandable. Um, it just depends, I think, on what you want to do. I think if you want to be a head of a you know, in a major hospital, then yes, it, it, it is going to be a hindrance. Um, you are expected to, to have a PhD or at least a significant research interest. Um, whereas I've, you know, I've written a few papers, but I'm certainly not a researcher. <laughs> mm. um, I think, you know, I've been lucky enough at the moment to, you know, in the recent years to work with people who are very supportive of what I do and have been you know lucky enough to work with people who have given me opportunities to to do clinical work and I hope I will be able to continue to do that so I think at the moment I'm I'm getting away with it mm. <laughs> but it sometimes feel a little bit like it is that it is getting away with it
0: <laughs> and I guess that's tricky then because coming back to the idea of relevance if your feeling was that a PhD would not be relevant to your practice. I mean, of course, it is to some degree. Any sort of research that furthers the field will inherently influence your practice. But at some point, you have to kind of ask, well, is it worth the investment, both time and financially, to do a PhD as well as work, as well as have a personal life, as well as all that, in order to achieve your goal? You know, how much... How much? How much do you have to want it in order mm. to justify it? And that—that's always that—that's always kind of tricky for me, you know. I, I, yeah. I, yeah,
1: yeah, I completely agree. And and I think you've got to remember, like, a PhD is not just you know, oh yeah, I'll just do it. I'll just do a PhD. Like, it's it's at least three years of your life. And you know, as far as you know, going by, going by friends that I've seen who have done them, it's it's a tough three years. Like, it's not easy. Um and i think you really need to want to do it to do it um otherwise i'd imagine it'd be a pretty horrendous time if you weren't doing it because you actually wanted to do it
0: mm. yeah that i was i to see that makes me think about sort of what i'm going through now cuz as as you know i'm i'm looking to be a tv screenwriter and everywhere i look i'm being told you need to quit your day job you have to commit hundred percent. Mm. You have to invest your entire life. You have to do the work, do the internships, do get the degrees, whatever. And even then, mm. none of that guarantees you anything. All that does is that it slightly increases your chances, or um, you know, it, it puts a credit to your name. And it just makes me think: as much as I love the act of screenwriting, how much do I care? Like how 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 much sacrifice am I willing to put into it? And you know, does that mean I have? Because if I sacrifice my time that, and the uh, the income that I'm earning, it's not just me that that impacts. It impacts my family. You know, I'm the only one who's working, and I've got two kids, and so it it's tricky. It's it's, it's a tricky question to ask, and it's a tricky well, it's a tricky question to answer because it doesn't mean that I want it any less, like in terms of the the sheer passion of it, but whether I'm necessarily willing to. Sacrifice mm. other things, whether it be the ha- my own happiness or the happiness of others. Because it's not that you know having money makes me unhappy. I get plenty of happiness from having money. So <laughs> is the happiness I get from having money greater uh, than my happiness I get from writing, or does it diminish it necessarily? Is there only a finite amount of happiness I'm allowed to have? It's it's a really it's yeah. a really. Um, Deep question, which to which I still don't have the answer. So I, I guess that's why I ask. You know, how much, how much it, for other people who are in different situations? How much do they have to ask themselves the same question? You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, and a lot of like, I'm, I presume, you know, because of the pr- there's that pressure to to do a PhD or, or a further degree. I think, you know, and and there is, you know, there are uh, limited numbers of jobs at the end of your training you know there is a lot of pressure for people to do phds just because they don't think they'll get a job otherwise um which is tough i mean and obviously a lot of people doing phds in my field are doing them because they really want to do them and that's excellent obviously we we need people doing these things mm. <laughs> but i wonder if true for everyone who's who's doing them and i suspect it's it's not but yeah, I think then that's then certainly wouldn't have been for me at that point in my life. I mean, I may still do a PhD one day if I find something I'm really passionate about doing one in, but I don't really want to do it otherwise. <laughs> and you and as you say about the, you know, um as you know, as to what you were saying, look it's all about it's about priorities, isn't it? And and I suppose that's where it's a little bit more difficult at this point in our lives, you know, we're you and I are now, you know, you know, almost in our mid thirties, basically, mm. and and there are other things in our lives to think about now that come into the decision making process. And, you know, I think if you were if you were twenty one and someone says, "Oh, you have to do you know unpaid internships and and all that stuff," you'd be like, "Well, okay, you know, I need to be able to live," but like past that, you know, I could actually consider that as a as an option. But at the moment, you know, you've got <laughs> you've got you know. Spouses and kids and mortgages and that kind of stuff. It, it's it's hard to be like, yeah, cool. We'll just do that then. <laughs> mm. a bit more cool, maybe.
0: Yeah, uh, and I guess uh, it, it makes me that. That's when when people who talk about you know uh, you, you have to want it so badly. I, I guess. It, It makes me. It. I I guess to try to isolate, not isolate, to try and help people distinguish. Yeah, what is their priority really? Um, Mm. Yeah, it's a. I mean, do you for you? Do you anticipate doing this job for the rest of your life?
1: Um, as in being being an infectious diseases consultant, you mean? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I always. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I love my job. Really, I do. Um. And, you know, and I remember reading all the, me like everyone else, I've read, you know, all those things about, you know, the average person changes, and I know you've quoted this on your on, <laughs> on this podcast previously, The you know, the average person changes jobs, you know, whatever it is, five or six or seven times in a in their lifetime. And, yeah, I always sort of found that fascinating because I don't really see that for me. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, that's why it's an average, I suppose. Um, but, but I, you know, I, I love my job and... I've taken a while to get where I am. Um, that's not a good enough reason to stay in it, obviously. But mm. I do, I do enjoy it, and I like coming to work every day, pretty much. <laughs> and I'm lucky enough now, you know, to be able to do the sorts of things I like at the moment. To do the sorts of things I like to do, I'm able to work part time, which suits me at the moment. There's a lot of there's a lot of upsides. I would like, and I, yeah, I I do hope that I will do this job in some iteration or another for, yeah, the rest of my working life.
0: What made you want to be a doctor in the first place? I mean, going going well, you know, before uni, <laughs> what was your inspiration there? I
1: was thinking about that earlier today because I sort of thought you might ask, ask that. <laughs> it's a difficult question to answer. I sort of can't really – the only thing I can take it back – I mean, I, I just, unlike a lot of people, you know, I didn't have that much in the way of, you know, family members or anything doing doing medicine. My parents certainly weren't in – those sorts of fields, um, and for most of my high school life, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, but I remember <laughs> my best friend at school in year ten was doing um, PE or physical education as a as a sub- as a subject, and I wasn't doing it. But I was talking to her about what they were, you know, what they were doing in um, in PE class one day, and she was telling me about they were learning anatomy, some basic anatomy, and she was telling me that she'd learned in that class that the the finger bones were called phalanges. And I just remember finding that absolutely fascinating. I don't know why. I'm not sure what, what my imagination about that. But like that is just, you know, like there's this whole other vocabulary out there The where, you know, things are called, yeah, like words I've literally never heard in my life. Like mm. the word phalanges was like something out of a book. Like I just... Never heard this term in my life, and I just—I've never forgotten it. I just found that fascinating. I'm oh, that—that sounds sort of interesting. I wonder what other things are called. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and that was yes, that was year, year Ten, so a couple of years before I finished school. And then I guess you know, Year Eleven and Year Twelve. I kind of—I picked subjects that I liked, but a lot of those subjects were science and maths. I mean, they weren't all. That I did, you know, English and I did literature and I did French as well because I liked them. But, and I certainly wasn't set on being a doctor, but I think by the time I got to year 12, I went, you know, I like, I like learning things. I like working with people. I like science. You know, it sort of makes sense that I might give it a crack, but I was certainly never sure that that was the right thing to do until I was in the medical degree. Um, so, in a lot of ways, I was lucky you know to pick something that seems to be suiting me. You know it's very difficult to to pick that at seventeen and actually get it right
0: that's right that's right in uh in your moments of doubt, when you weren't sure what other things did you consider?
1: um, I think got other stuff I put on my you know
0: list of. Your VTAC card, um, a VTAC card, your yeah. thing.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> stuff I was applying for. I think I applied for, okay, it was just a whole like, list of stuff. I think I applied for, I think I had physio. I think I had arts law.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know why. I said, that's the thing. I, I have no idea what I want to do, really. Um, Yeah, physio for, for the same, for similar sort of reasons to, mm. to medicine. But then, yeah, I think, you know, third or fourth, I had arts law because... You know, I liked literature and I liked French and I thought, you know, knew knew nothing about law but thought it might be interesting. Um, And, I mean, I may have enjoyed that too, I suspect. Um, But, you know, never know now.
0: (laughs) Well, again, well, theoretically, not, not, That's not necessarily true because we know we know plenty of people who did um, medicine and law, which is insane. Um, but they had, but they had the uh the dedication and the passion to do it, and good on them for it. I mean, I, th- I think we know two of them who have had pretty uh, interesting careers within the health sector th- yeah, as part exactly. of their law degree. So it's, you know, again, you, you hear that statistic. Uh, and, and, and about changing your career to five to seven times in your lifetime, mm. and and you know for, for you, the, your the question for you is well, you know you, why? And My question is how. I always wonder how people do it because if that that's the average. I mean that 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 yeah. means that people are changing their careers more than that. They're changing their careers, you know, ten to fifteen times. Yeah, true. And yeah, exactly. How, if there's
1: people like me, then there's also people who are yeah changing them like yes, you know, more than average.
0: And the question is, did they do that because they were forced into it? Like, was it that their their industry died, or there just weren't any jobs around, or or did they do it by choice? Did they do it because you know they they were either they were done with their job they were sick of it there there were parts of it they just didn't they just overwhelmed their love of it that, that mm. made them i I always wonder you know um and so it's it's always interesting to look back as at your at people's time as and when they were younger, when when all of us at 16, 17, because because really it starts earlier than that. Because already, I think by the time, at least when we were young, by the time I got to year nine or year ten, I was already starting to. Um. What's the word I'm looking for? Sort of be more selective about the areas. So, you know, you, you either did – you were a humanities guy or a science guy or a, or, or a math guy or whatever it may be. But you'd, you'd already started whittling it down, you know. It was – Yeah, you have to make sure some
1: choices. Even if they're not career choices, it's subject choices, which therefore kind of lead to career
0: choices in it. Well, exactly. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is like these days. And I, I imagine it's probably still the same, but the idea of prerequisites. You know, if you want to get yeah. into medicine, you need to have a, a – there was a prerequisite of English and chemistry, but English was default for everyone. So, you had hmm. to do chemistry. Um, and so, everything kind of – but the, what is the likelihood that you would do English chemistry and drama? Like, it just, it, they're just exceptionally different things. So, really early on, you get told, well – You don't necessarily have to know what you want to do, but you have to have an idea once you go in. And I always wonder, I always wonder whether anyone is ever encouraged just to learn for the sake of learning, you know?
1: Mm. Yeah, but I suppose you can like, I mean, I I never really like picked my subjects based on what I wanted to do because I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. Mm. Um, It was more, I, I picked my subject based on what I liked to do the most. And that's why it was a sort of slightly strange mix of you know yeah maths maths English, chemistry and then well, two maths seven and and then French and literature mm. because I just liked them and you know at that point I had no idea what I wanted to do I could I could just as well have ended up in an arts degree um, so <laughs> but I I enjoyed them so I picked them and thought hopefully you know and. Uh, and I guess as you get closer, you think, oh, like, you know, here is – like, I, I should have a quick look at the prerequisites, you know, like, oh, I should do chemistry because, you know, if I decided I wanted to do medicine, then I would need that. <laughs> but I guess I sort of tried to keep it a bit open otherwise, not intentionally but more just because I liked those subjects.
0: It is a, it is a remarkable luxury to be intelligent. I know, I know that sounds like a really weird thing to say but to, oh, to have know. the options – to choose from anything like it's just it, again it's a different mentality so so for me um, and you obviously know this being a, an old friend of mine for me it was it was my my life and career was very linear it was very direct yeah. and you know I, I knew exactly where I was headed and so everything was geared towards that which in a way made things simpler but in know, in a different way was a result of brainwashing. And, um, and so, but, but it's interesting to hear it from your perspective because, yeah, because you, you had um, multi-potentiality as they put it, you could have done almost anything, whether or not you would have necessarily wanted to have done it is, is the only real question yeah. you had to ask yourself. You had the intelligence and the dedication, the, the, the capacity to learn where you could have done whatever you felt like. Um, and and as you said, essentially, you're lucked out. Like, you know, I mean, I, I, I wonder what would have happened if you had done medicine uh, and, you know, let's say three years into a five-year degree, suddenly decided, actually, mm. I hate being a doctor. This is the worst thing I've ever done. Um, mm. Would you necessarily have changed?
1: Yeah, to know. It's hard to know. Mm. I mean, you, I like to think so. Like, I like to think that, you know, if I hated my, like if I'd been clear that I was not going to enjoy this, then, you know, the idea of a lifetime of hating my job is rather off-putting. I like to think that I would have the courage to change it, but, I mean, you do have to have a lot of courage to to make that call. And, yeah, I'm still glad I didn't have to because it's tough, you know, to start all over again and to take a chance and on something that you also don't know if you're going to like. Really like not you know it's very difficult to know before you get into something whether it suits you or not doesn 't matter how much research you do you know being in it is is very is a very different experience
0: which really again ties in nicely to what we've been saying about the idea of experience really mattering, and I think uh, that yeah, going into a degree there is at look at least with the people that i i know I, I grew up with and with myself as well. Everything needed to have an intent. Learning for the sake of learning was a waste of money and a waste of time. You had to know whatever you did led to a job or or a, or a career or something. Uh, and I I'm in I'm now learning in my near mid thirties that <laughs> that's a. Croc, like it's just really it's quite like never yeah (laughs) and and this you know it's funny because i have i have people who are older than me and i'm not not like you know maybe in their 40s who are saying oh but you're still young but actually like yeah numerically i'm young but the responsibilities that i have and the other considerations i need to make before making these sort of decisions are the equivalent of being an older person like you know, you, I, can't, mm. I can't just drop everything and go, oh, well, I'm going to just change careers now. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly.
1: like yeah, changing careers is not something that you can yeah, do in a whim or, or easily necessarily. It's, very, it's, it's doable, but yeah, you, you may well have to make some sacrifices in other parts of your life. Definitely. And, and that's just the way it is, unfortunately.
0: Absolutely. And there's that concept of, I think I'm getting the term wrong, but is it sunk cost effect? the idea that yeah. when you've invested when you've either emotionally or or tangibly invested in something enough you you feel this need to finish it out even if you have no intention of following through uh, oh. it's
1: yeah yeah exactly or like you know i yeah i've spent so much time and effort and money and whatever you know on this you know i can't i can't leave it now even though i hate every second of it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i was, uh, I, was, I, was I always i always i always wonder that with myself and I, I still you know, it, it, it I I love <laughs> a bit of a tangent. I love time travel and the concept of time travel. Um and it I do. and I, I like I like the idea of being able to go back to my past self and hey, and say, hey, past self, do better. Think about this, look at your life differently. Um but then thinking about experience, I I don't think my younger self would have listened. I think my younger self would have would have been very Nervous about the present and gone, you know. Well, no, but this is this is what I I want to do. This 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 makes me feel comfortable. I don't know what's going to happen, and mm. you know, you you and and of course, you know, if you change one thing, well, it depends on which theory of time travel you go into, but you might change you change one <laughs> thing in the past, and you either create a new stream or you you back to the future, and you create a whole new future, which might be even worse. So, yeah, butterfly effect, man, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> It's just.
1: just
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I, I always wonder what, what would happen if I had, if I had followed a different path or followed the path that was out of, out of joy and not practicality. There are some days I think that I make too many practical decisions which are against, or, or, or don't necessarily mesh with what I want, and you know I, I i don't know how I mean, much of a life is you
1: live. know like and yes it sounds a bit indulgent but like realistically you know you spend so much of your life at work we all do like it's just you know it is such a huge part of life that you know the idea of getting up and going every day or you know every second day or whatever it is that you work you know the vast majority of your time you know to to a job that you hate is just I would I would really struggle to do that, I think. It's mm. just, it's a tough... Yeah, God, I, like, I hate the idea of, you know, hating what I do every day. Mm. It would be really hard to get out of bed.
0: And then, yeah, and, and I wonder whether or not... How much courage it would take to simply just leave it all behind or whether you'd almost... Want someone to do it for you, you know, like if you that you you're in a job you hate and you just wait to be fired, and the day you get fired you just you you jump for joy, and then the boss would be like, "Why are you celebrating? And you're like, "No reason, and you just walk out <laughs> yeah. it's been self-sabotaging that's all, yeah. <laughs> Um, so for any, uh, for any aspiring infectious diseases consultants out there, is there something that you wish you had been told, uh, earlier on in your career that would have prepared you for what you know now?
1: Um, I think the, I think it's important to remember that there are, there is work out there. I think you know, as you're going through your infectious diseases training, and I think this is probably true for a lot of, you know, hospital-based specialties, there's a lot of, especially as you get close to the end of your training, there's a lot of panic about whether you'll get a job um, because everyone says, oh, you know, there's, there's lots, of, um, lots of junior doctors coming up and there's competition for jobs and training places and all that kind of thing and you're not going to have, you know, you'll get to the end of this and you won't have any work. And I just, in general, that's not true. And I think it's a huge source of, you know, panic <laughs> for for trainees that, you know, is adds to the various other sort other sources of panic that there are for, you know, junior doctors. And really you just gotta think about the fact that, you know, there are there's definitely work out there, particularly if you you look outside your little bubble, you know, there's the second, you know, you leave a tertiary centre or a large metropolitan centre, you find hospitals and clinics and all sorts of places that are crying out for for doctors. Um, and you know, and if as long as you're willing to, yeah, you know, look outside, outside the box, then there's definitely work there. And I think that's that should be reassuring for people, um, and not something you know you shouldn't be looking at the fact that you you shouldn't be thinking, oh God, I'm not going to get a job there, for I shouldn't go into this career. Because that's definitely not the case there is there is work for infectious diseases physicians out there
0: uh, and it's interesting because I remember when when we were interns there was definitely the sense of false scarcity the idea that there were only a finite number of places and to, and there was there was really I think there was a bit of a bottleneck in intern year, but that's only because there were only a limited number of um, uh, like a safe position that you can put a brand new intern into but once you got mm. out of that it really the options really opened up and again no one ever warns you of this they just kind of give you this ongoing sense of false scarcity to i don't know what drummer competition or improve quality right. i have no idea but yeah I, I certainly agree with that sentiment that there's this feeling of Scarcity. Like definitely within GP as well. There's 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 certainly that idea that you can only there are only finite positions out there and you have to fight for each one of them. But I, I know that in the in the jobs that I've had at the various clinics that I've worked, each time it was less about me appealing myself to them and them appealing themselves to me, which I found really arse backwards. I mean, lovely. Don't get me wrong. It's really lovely <laughs> when you can walk in and they're like, So, what can we do to make you take this job? And you're like, uh, and <laughs> uh, I meant to be telling you this, and they're just yeah, like, no. <laughs> <That would be>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's always the need somewhere, and and you know the the industry is evolving, and I know this doesn't necessarily apply to everyone necessarily, but there's always going to be changes and therefore opportunities. Um, and the other thing is, you can yeah. even create your own jobs. I mean, I think in the past, you 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 know, you've told me about how uh, in private hospitals, there now is an increased demand for infectious diseases consultants where there wasn't there before.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. So you know, there's definitely there's definitely work out there, both in the public and the private sector, and particularly in regional areas, you know, and which are hugely underserved. So. You know, it's really like they're really they getting a, a rough end of the stick. Really, like they they need more medical um, specialists, you know, out there in those sort of areas. So, you know, as long as you're willing to, you know, work, work work outside, you know what you're what you've trained in, then the work is there.
0: Mm. Uh, and just to finish off, for any aspiring doctors in general, so any high school students out there, like yourself, you know, you're between fourteen to sixteen, you're thinking, what do I want to do? What advice would you give them?
1: Um, I think it's just important to do something, like to do what you enjoy. I mean, it's a massive cliche, but it's so true. You know, like it's like, like a lot of other things. Like it is, you know, the the training required to be a doctor is long and arduous, realistically. Um, I know we're not alone in that. Yes, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, careers for which that's true, but I think, you know... It's, it's years of training to become an intern and then it's years of training to become a specialist or a, you know a specialist Gp or a specialist or a hospital whatever you, you want to do like it's a long road and even then you're always going to have to still be keeping up with with what's happening um so i think you need to be you need to enjoy it so don't don't do it because you think you should do it don't do it just because you can um do it if you think you might like it
0: That's a lovely way to end it. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast, Emma. That was really helpful. No worries. My pleasure. Uh, So, to you listeners out there, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Uh, Feel free to check out our other podcasts uh, and follow us on social media, wherever you can find us. Uh, Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. And remember, there are no small jobs, only jobs you haven't discovered yet.